God is good. And all the time. Let's say that one more time like you believe it. God is good. And all the time. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. I am so thankful to be here today. Um, as my sister and I prayed in her office a little bit earlier, we knew that the Lord had commanded, He had set aside this day for me to bring you this word. There's nothing special about me, but there's everything special about the Lord and the message that He is bringing to you today by using me. Uh, my name is Arturo Kadar. Can you say that? There you go. Awesome. You know, most people cannot say Arturo, so they call me Artie, right? And so uh, Artie is good. Arturo is fine. And I'm just happy to be here. Um, I have been in ministry, uh, let's see, since 2000, uh, 2006. So in 2006, um, after being a member of Friendswood United Methodist Church for 20 years, uh, I went on a walk to Emmaus retreat. Anybody know the walk to Emmaus? Yeah. It changed my life. It changed my life. And I came out of there with a strong desire to share the love that I had experienced at this retreat with everybody else that I met. And so I went to Charles Anderson, who was the pastor back then at Friendswood, and I said, I want to share everything that I got in that retreat with those around me, and specifically with the Hispanic community around Friendswood. Mind you, the Hispanic community in Friendswood was not that big. You know, it was only about 1,200 people back then. And he said, well, you know what? That's fine. Talk to uh, director of outreach. Go out and, 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 yeah, just don't call it a service because you are not a pastor. And I said, I don't care what we call it. I said, all I want to do is praise God, study his word, pray for each other, and be the church. And so we, uh, we started that ministry there uh, uh, with eight people in, in, in a Sunday school classroom up on the second floor of the education building, and uh, we called it the upper room. And we were there for about three months. We went from eight people to 20. And then, you know, they gave us a second location. And in that location, we went from 20 to 60. And, and when it was time to keep growing, they gave us the old sanctuary at Friends of United Methodist Church, which is now called Wesley Hall, and we became a church of 200 people. Uh, you know, the Lord was good. The Lord was good. And the people that he sent to, to, to support that ministry were also very, very good. And so I, uh, I've been pastoring since then. Uh, I can say that I planted three churches the Hispanic Community of Friends United Methodist Church, then Christway Community Church, and then Crossroads United Methodist Church down in the South Ellington Field area. That was my last appointment in the local church. I now serve in the conference as conference staff. I'm the coordinator of mission field development. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, what I do know is what I do on a daily basis, and that's basically supervise, uh, uh, coach, help Hispanic ministries to grow in, our, in the Texas Annual Conference. So, with that, I've introduced myself. I'm married to Dulce, my wife of 41 years. Yeah, yeah. We both just turned 61 this past week. And uh, uh, we have a daughter, Jessica, a son, George, and two beautiful granddaughters, Naomi and Nina, who just, you know, you know granddaughters, right? Yeah, you know. So, um, but enough about me. 
enough about me. I came here to talk about you and to talk about the work that the Lord is doing in this place. My understanding is that today is Consecration Sunday for y'all, right? And, uh, you know, um, I'm going to preach a little bit about the Old Testament scripture that we just read, right? Where Joshua goes to the people and says, Consecrate yourselves, because tomorrow the Lord will do great things. Now you need to understand that consecration is a ritual that was followed back then. If you want to know all the particulars about the ritual, you can go to Exodus 29. It's all very well described there. I'm not going to go into the particulars. But, you know, it did involve purity and the washing of self and abstaining from sexual relations and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but, but I want you to know that consecration was something that was always requested of the people before the Lord prepared to do great things. In this case, the great thing that he was about to do was to actually get this younger generation of Israelites to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, right? The older generation, sorry, they couldn't do it. And I'm not going to talk about them, you know. But this younger generation that God said, well, you know what, I'm going to take you across. But before I do that, before I take you into what I know is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you, I need you to consecrate yourselves. And so I wonder if the Lord God is asking us to consecrate ourselves this morning because he is about to do great things here at St. Matthew's United Methodist Church. Can I get an amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we love how you love us. And we are thankful, Lord, that we get to consecrate ourselves as we expect you to do great things among the people of St. Matthew's United Methodist Church and among the community that surrounds it. Oh, Father, we don't know exactly where you're taking us, but we know you, and that is enough. We love you, and we trust you. Oh, Father, use me as you will, that the words that I speak, the meditation that I transfer onto my sisters and brothers may be yours and not mine. And may it be so, Father God, that as we leave this place, place today, we leave as a people that has transformed and as a people that has renewed their commitment to live with you in consecration. I pray these things with gratitude in my heart. In the name of your beautiful, powerful, redemptive son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Consecration Sunday. I looked up the definition of Consecration Sunday by going to different churches' websites and just kind of reading up on what they thought Consecration Sunday was. And I picked up three or four. 
So one church says, Consecration Sunday encourages all to progress toward the goal of proportionate and systematic giving. Another church said, On Consecration Sunday, we will invite worshipers to make their financial commitments to our church's missionary, benevolent, and educational ministries in this community and around the world by completing an estimate of giving card as a confidential expression of faith. And then another church says, On Consecration Sunday, we ask that you prayerfully ask, What proportion of my income is God calling me to give? And then complete a commitment card. Following worship, we will then enjoy a celebration brunch together in the parish hall. I mean, they had to say that, you know. And then another church said, Our annual pledges are a way in which we grow spiritually, acknowledging the truth that all we have is sacred is a sacred gift from God, and as followers of Jesus Christ, our gifts are an unselfish act of discipleship. You know, these are all, without a doubt, they're they're good, valid explanations of what consecration Sunday uh, uh, is, of, of what happens in a typical United Methodist Church and other churches on consecration Sunday. However, my prayer for you today is that something bigger takes place in this sanctuary and in your hearts today. My prayer is that we approach this consecration Sunday with a purpose that is much bigger than just inspiring you to fill out a pledge card that will tell us how well or how not so well we will get to cover our operating budget in 2020. If that is all that we accomplish here today, if all that we accomplish here today is that you filled out a consecration pledge card, I got to tell you, we will not have accomplished much. But if when we leave this place today, we go home with a renewed purpose to live the type of consecrated life that God intended for you and for me to live, and then we fill out our pledge cards with the same sacrificial love and intention that Jesus had when he fulfilled God's pledge to us on the cross of Calvary, then, my sisters and brothers, we will leave this place with the blessed assurance of knowing that tomorrow and until kingdom comes, the Lord will do amazing things among us. Now, amens are more than welcome. If you don't say amen, I have my own bag of amens. And I'll just say amen to what I'm saying. I came ready to preach. All right? Friends, I'm here to tell somebody today to bring more than just a pledge card to the altar. I'm here. I mean, listen, we want your pledge. We want your pledge card. 
But that's nothing new, is it? We ask you to do that every year. The Lord is calling somebody here today to bring his or her entire life to the altar and consecrate it to him. The Lord wants you and he wants your pledge card in that order. He wants you and your pledge card in that order to be a sign of the consecration to his call upon your life, of a consecration to his call upon his purpose, to the consecration of your life to his mission. The Lord wants you and your pledge card to be the living evidence of your love for him and your love for neighbor. Make no mistake, that's what it's all about. Isn't that what Jesus said, Pastor? It's all about loving God and then doing the same thing with your neighbor. The Lord is saying to the people of St. Matthew's, consecrate yourselves or tomorrow I will do amazing things among you. Now, I hope that you notice that the word that I bring you from God today has an interactive element to it. Okay? There are two actions that need to be taken. One action comes from you. The other action comes from the Lord. Right? It's interactive. It's interactive. The Lord says, consecrate yourselves, meaning you have to do it. And he says, because tomorrow I am going to do great things among you. Right? I already discussed what the context was with Joshua and his people. Right? They're about to get into the promised land. And the Lord is saying, consecrate yourselves. Be pure. Get ready. Because I'm about to take you into the promised land. And he's saying the same thing to you today. He is saying, hey, I want to do something great here in this place. And I need you to consecrate yourselves. Now, friends, what in the world does it mean to live a consecrated life? That's the title of my sermon, A Consecrated Life. We cannot live for a consecrated Sunday, but we can live, we should live, we will live for a consecrated life. Well, when we're called to consecrate ourselves, we're called to set ourselves apart, listen, for sacred living and for sacred service. And this means that I consecrate all that I am and all that I have to God. Specifically, I am called to consecrate my actions. I am called to concentrate, consecrate my attitudes. And yes, I am also called to consecrate my possessions choir to God. And so this means that I do what pleases God. I behave in such a way that God is pleased with my attitude and I am careful to ensure and recognize that whatever comes to me comes from God. That it is from God because I want what God wants. So that takes care of defining consecration or sanctification, if you will. But what does it mean that I have to do it myself? 
What does it mean that I have to take care of this consecration? Well, when we look at Joshua and this younger generation of Israelites going to the promised land, we cannot ignore the fact that the Lord brought them to the Jordan. But they had to cross it. Okay? How many times has the Lord brought you to a point of something really important that you know you need to do, and the Lord opened all the doors, and you got there, right? You swam, right? And you were swimming. And then when you got there, you sank because you did not do what you were supposed to do. Now look, friends, when God says, consecrate yourselves, there's obviously something that you need to do. Right? When we talk about actions, you need to think about this. How we conduct our lives matter. Our actions matter. The worst thing we could do both as individuals and as a congregation is to think that our actions and our lifestyles have nothing to do with God's plan for this church. We cannot ignore the call to sanctify ourselves because we think that God is going to do what He's going to do anyway. When God says, consecrate yourselves, that just means you have something to do. We hear in Colossians 3, verses 5 to 8, for example, we hear Paul say this, put to death, therefore... And then he gives us a list. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives us a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. Anger and rage and malice and slander and and filthy language from your lips. Just some examples. Now look here. I can't do those things for you. And you can't do them for me. I have to do them. If I'm going to consecrate myself, I need to do these things myself. All I can do as the leader in the church of Jesus Christ is ask you to consecrate yourself and perhaps maybe hold you accountable in some way to becoming more sanctified as you walk with Jesus Christ. But only if you allow me to. So sanctify yourself, consecrate yourself by consecrating your actions to the Lord. But beyond your actions, some of us need to work on our attitude. Listen, your attitude matters to everyone. And specifically, to those whom we're trying to reach in this community. I read part of your VCI report. And there was one line in there, one of those mystery shoppers that came to, you know. And this mystery shopper said they were a friendly church, but they were not welcoming. There's an attitude problem somewhere in there. Friends, being a witness for Jesus Christ in your Jerusalem, this is your Jerusalem right here, 
within a three-mile radius or five-mile radius, wherever you determine to be the distance, this is your mission field. And it requires a good attitude inside and outside of these four walls. A sanctified life, a consecrated life, also includes living with the right attitude. Some of the holiest and busiest people I know in terms of actions have big attitude problems. These are the people that fill their chest with self-righteousness and they go around saying, oh, I gave up sin a long time ago when I was saved and I don't miss a Sunday and I don't miss a Bible study and oh, yes, I pray every day and yes, I'm on three committees. Well, yeah, but why are you so mean? Why are you so judgmental? Why doesn't anybody like you? Friends, do you realize that a lot of people like Jesus, but they want nothing to do with us because we have an attitude problem? How can that possibly translate into holiness? Consecrate your attitudes today, friends. When people saw Jesus coming, they rejoice. Hey, Jesus, what's up? Are people rejoicing when they see you coming? Or are they taking a detour to a different hallway because your attitude stinks. Oh, I know I'm preaching to somebody. What do people feel when they see you coming? What do they feel when they see you coming? Do they feel joy in their hearts? Like they felt joy when they saw Jesus. Friends, some of us are going to need to change our attitudes if we're going to sanctify ourselves. i got to tell you, I have a note here to talk about. I will mention names, but I had a family in my church, Christway Community Church, my second church. Um, it was a big family. Mom, dad, three grown children, and their wives. And because of economics, they all live together, you know. And so slowly but surely, I noticed that the grown-up children and their respective wives Stop coming to church. So one left the church, and then the other one left the church, and, and finally the third one left the church. And I'm like, what is going on? So I go to Mama, and I say, what's going on with your children? Oh, you know, they're just full of sin. Well, I decided to talk to the children. And here's what the children told me. Pastor, our mother is holier than thou at church. But here in the house, she is hell. Now friends, a consecrated attitude needs to go beyond these walls. A consecrated attitude ought to 
Get people to see Jesus in your face, in your smile, in your words, in your ability to interact with other people. Get to work, folks. Stop saying that people don't like you because you love God. People don't like you because you think way too much about how holy you are. People don't like you because there's something wrong with your attitude. So sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself by changing your attitude. Can I get an amen? amen? The last thing I want to talk to you about today is consecration of your possessions. Listen, this may come as a surprise to some of us, but your treasures, your talents, and your time, they don't belong to you. <laughs> they belong to God. Because God entrusted them to you. So in light of that realization, the goal for us this morning is to find out how the Lord wants us to use the treasures, talents, and time that He has given to us in a way that pleases Him, in a way that honors Him, in a way that we can be seen as people who are trustworthy to God. This is our journey. This is our journey, learning to be trustworthy to God. Because Jesus made it very plain. He made it very plain to us that if we can be trusted with the things of God, then God will bless us as a result. And I don't know about you, but I am very attracted to the principle of living <laughs> under the blessings of God. So I'm interested in making sure that God finds me trustworthy. And for that reason, before my Lord and Savior returns, and He will return, I want to make sure that nothing in my life hinders all that God wants to do with me and in me. So the question again is, how do we put to good use the resources that God has entrusted to us? And what do we need to do to manage the resources that God has given to us in a way that pleases and honors Him. Friends, when I became a pastor, I made a decision early on not to preach on anything that I had not experienced myself. So I come to you and I speak to you from personal experience. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I owe it to you to preach the Word of God not only as a listener of the word, but also as a practitioner of it. So as I go into this last consecrate your life point of consecrating your possessions, know that what you are about to hear comes from someone who took a long time to understand that all that I have and all that I am came from God and belongs to God. In my particular case, I had no problem playing the role of a churchy man with a churchy family. I did that really well. And I did pretty good with spending. Notice I didn't say consecrating. Spending my time and talents at church. I did pretty good in those two areas. But I have to tell you, that my wallet, 
was the last thing to transform as evidence of the transformation of my heart. It was the very last thing to transform as evidence of the transformation of my heart. I had a strong tendency to treat money like it belonged to me, and for that reason, I could do with it whatever I wanted. I was very much a participant of this worldly mindset that says, my money is all mine, my investments are all mine, what I own is mine, and whatever I do with the money that I earn is entirely up to me. And friends, as long as we keep thinking this way, we will continue to make spending money in all the wrong ways our number one priority. We're all big spenders, aren't we? Spending makes us feel good. The best of us may decide to save some and also to give some but we will do so at our discretion because in the end, we think that all this money and all these possessions are ours. But here's the problem. When you decide to follow Jesus, when you decide to consecrate yourself to living your life according to what the Bible teaches, you are going to find out that the Bible is very clear in saying that if you want to honor God with the use of your financial resources that He has entrusted to you, you're going to have to shift your money management style from spending your money at your discretion to giving your money according to God's will. Because the first thing that the Bible calls us to do with the resources that God has given to us is to give generously. To give generously. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what he was talking about. Matthew 6, 33. And then he said, and all these things, all these other things, you know, the things that we spend money on. He said, all these other things will be added on to you. Right? So this is a call to put the kingdom above everything else, including your money and your possessions. And you may say, well, here comes the church again, trying to get that pledge card from me. Friends, friends, listen, we're not trying to take money away from you. We're trying to make you some money. We're trying to make you some money. We're asking you to trust God with all of your possessions by first honoring Him with 10% of everything you earn and trusting Him for the other 90. I am so blessed I get to keep 90% of what I earn. You say, well, you know, that's kind of Old Testament stuff, you know. Um, um, the New Testament talks about Generosity. Well, being generous could not possibly be less than a tithe. I mean, 10%, 90%, 10%, 90%, you know. The priority is, with regards to money, we give generously out of all of our sources of income, right? A tithe is 10% of what you earn. 
right? I like that song from Beyonce. To the left, to the left, right? Yeah. So if you earn one dollar, move the decimal point to the left. Ten cents. If you earn ten dollars, move the decimal to the left, to the left. If you earn a hundred, to the left, to the left. Ten bucks. If you earn a thousand, hey, now you're talking a little bit, you know. Under bucks, hey, that's a lot of money, you know. And I keep saying, to the left, to the left, brother. To the left, to the left, sister. That's what it's all about. Listen, tithing is a meaningful principle that predates the law. And it is a recognized pattern of honoring God. We're the lesser being. That would be you and me. Honor the greater being. That would be God. Acknowledging that the greater being has given the lesser being everything that he or she has. Friends, in the year 2000. Three, 2003. I was in debt $86,000. Credit cards, money that my dad had loaned me. I had $1,000 in the bank and I had no clue where my next sale was going to come from. I was in business for myself. I had a sales training and marketing, consulting organization. I did very well my first year. My second year was horrible. And I was in debt $86,000. And it was at that point that the Lord spoke to me and said, trust me. Are you kidding me? I have $1,000 left in the bank. He said, trust me. Now, Dulce and I had always been decent givers at the church. I don't know exactly how much we gave, but, you know, we gave money to the church. But then we trusted God with our 10%. Right there, in my lowest moment of financial distress. Friends, I have to tell you that Fourteen months later, I was debtless. I was debtless. I consecrated my possessions to the Lord. And He did a great thing in my life. It's the promise of Malachi 3. You go read it by yourself. I'm not going to read it. But the Lord does say, I will open up the heavens. Just watch me do something great if you honor me with your time. Okay, Pastor Artie, so if you're trying to inspire us to give generously, then what percentage are you talking about? Well, I've been talking about 10%. But, you know, listen, listen, listen. What percent is your mortgage payment? What percent is, you know, what you spend on food and other types of entertainment? 
Um, I think those were all pretty generous percentages. So think about that for a while. God has entrusted each one of us with certain unique gifts and abilities. And we have varying degrees of financial resources and talents, but all of us have the same spiritual mandate to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So as you fill out your pledge cards today, don't make tithing and generosity a matter of legalism. It is the matter of giving back to God from what, ha- what He has already entrusted to you. Giving generously is job number one. God has invested too much in us for us to honor Him with what we have left over after we've paid all of our bills and after we've done everything else that we want to do with all that He has entrusted to us. Putting God first in everything that we do matters to God. Putting God first in everything we do with our treasures, our talents, and our time is the way of a consecrated life. If we want to consecrate ourselves before God, to prepare for Him to do something special among us, then we need to make sure that we are obeying Him in every area of our life and that nothing is contaminating our relationship with Him. Not our actions, not our attitude, not our possessions. Friends, if you don't take anything else away from today's message, take this with you. The will to see God work is not as important as the will to prepare to see God work. This is what is before you as a church right now. I think God wants to do something special with this church. But the question is this. Will you prepare yourselves for God to do something special in this church and in this community? This is what is before us as individuals right now. God wants us to use, God wants to use you in a great and special way, but it is not just going to happen. You have to prepare yourself. If God is going to use you, you're going to have to prepare yourself. You're going to need to consecrate your actions. You're going to need to consecrate your attitude. You're going to need to consecrate your possessions, your treasures, your time, your talents to Him. People of St. Matthew's, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let the people say, Amen. Amen.